Hello and welcome back to Talk Richmond. We're joined by Dr Catherine Cashap for this week's episode, who has spent 30 years working with children and young people from a range of diverse and disadvantaged backgrounds. Catherine is now a school improvement advisor and is talking to us today about her work on racial justice and decolonising the school curriculum. So, without further ado, a very warm welcome, Catherine. Thank you. Nice to be with you. How are you? I'm good, thank you, yes. You're good. And it would be great to kick things off if you could give us a better understanding of what your current role is. Okay, thank you. So, um, a school improvement advisor means that I am here to help schools with a range of different things. Um, I do sort of bespoke work with individual schools looking at their practice, either on racial justice or multilingualism or uh, disadvantage. I've got three very different roles there. Obviously, the, the racial justice and multilingualism tie in very closely together. So it's a really exciting job. I absolutely love it, to be honest with you. <laughs> Sounds fantastic. Yeah, thank you. Thank you. And I understand in your earlier career, you taught English for 10 years in London schools and you have a wealth of experience supporting refugee pupils. Could you tell us a bit more about this and how it led to your role now? Sure, yeah. I have to say, I was thinking about this, that I swore at the age of 18 that I would never be a teacher. And it <laughs> it took me 12 years to give in. But, <laughs> but I, I did finally become a teacher, having done TEFL, actually. So when I started teaching um, in uh, Wandsworth, in a, in a large comprehensive in Wandsworth, very diverse, um, because I'd done TEFL, I, I was given a bit of responsibility for EAL, pupils within the department I then I then went off and taught in a different school for a couple of years and then came back to be head of what was then called ethnic minority achievement and my role there was very specifically on EAL and refugee young people and the deputy head led on all the aiming high stuff that was going on then for black achievement um, but of course it all cross fertilizes and, and, and links in together and I happened when I started that role I happened to have a group of both Somali and Afghan refugees who arrived straight from their different countries who had had hugely disrupted education. Um, they didn't read and write in their home languages, particularly the, the Somali young people. And we basically learned together over four years how, how, how to get them through. And, and uh, I left when, when the first lot just on their, their GCSEs. I spent a lot of time working across the curriculum with a range of teachers, supporting how they taught in mainstream. Um, we also had to teach uh, these young people to, to read and write. So as a secondary school English teacher, I had to learn phonics, which has stood me in incredibly good stead, I have to say, particularly now I'm working with primary schools as well. And we used to close the door. They'd always say, Miss, close the door, because then we'd be chanting the phonics. They didn't want anyone else to hear. But what was really amazing, I still remember um, once we'd, we taught them phonics, we then actually got a Somali teacher to come and teach uh, the children um, Somali. Uh, so children, young people who've just spoken their language all their lives suddenly were learning how to read and write it as well. And, and that was absolutely incredible. Uh, and we did a range of community languages. We did Arabic. We did um, Pushtu, all, all the different languages so that children really felt uh, empowered in their language as well as well as learning in English. Fantastic. Thank you. Um, when it comes to the work you're doing then now, that's led into mm -hmm. that. And talking about decolonising the school curriculum, what exactly do we mean by that? And how do you go about trying to achieve this? I think the, I, I'm going to quote from Sabrina Edwards here. So we've had a range of different speakers come and, uh, and help us with this work. And she says three very important words. She says, rethink, 
reframe and reconstruct knowledge. So it's very much not about adding in things. It's about looking at what we are teaching and, and more, even more importantly, how we are teaching it and thinking about that completely differently, almost turning it on its head and challenging that idea that we are focused solely on sort of Europe, UK, uh, monolingual British idea of the world and instead thinking okay you know which knowledge is is actually legitimate here you know who's got the capital how are we excluding whole rooms of of the world by the way that we focus on things so it, it's challenging I think it's difficult I think it produces um, uncomfortable conversations about race and, and racism I think looking at a whole um, school curriculum, particularly I've been looking at primary curriculums recently, you find that even looking at one scheme of work, unless you understand migration, slavery and colonialism, you can't actually teach anything. It actually impacts everything. It impacts art. It impacts geography. You know, it impacts English. Um, you know, for example, in, in art, in, in the primary curriculum, you will find, for example, um, uh, African art in early years. And then it pops up again in year five and there's nothing in between. And the, and the artists who are being studied are, uh, as, as key artists are all from European uh, and Western backgrounds. None are from African heritage, Asian heritage, etc. So, so that message that we give to our children is, is pretty stark, actually. You know, so starting to unpick that and starting to turn that on its head is really important. I think the second thing I would say is the how. So as a teacher, you know, you, I could give you, I don't know, something about Mary Seacole and Florence Nightingale to teach. But unless I'm actually trained in how I approach that, how I talk about those two women, how I compare them or don't compare them. Actually, again, the message is not going to get across. I can very easily you know, uh, present Florence Nightingale, this is wonderful sort of white saviour, and Mary Seacole as somebody who sort of happened to come along as well. You see what I mean? So it's, it's not just about what you put in the curriculum. It's about how we teach it. And that for us as teachers is about our own self-reflexive practice. It's about us learning all the time. Wow, there's a lot to think about. You've really made me think because I'd assumed that the main bit was going to be about history teaching. And I guess that might be the, the most rich and ready for, for sort of re rethinking and reassessment. But, but it's also, you're saying it stretches across the whole curriculum. It has to go across the whole curriculum to have the impact it needs to have, exactly. Uh, and I think what's really interesting is that, um, for example, um, choosing what books children read is something that, that our English advisors has done a lot of work on over the last couple of years. But, you know, I, I spoke to a parent the other day who said to me, oh, you know, the, the only book that my child had brought home that had a black um, character in was a book about sport. Mm. So that mm. you know that that thing again about where okay we can think oh goodness yes got to be diverse in in in, our, in in what books we have but what messages are we sending through the books we actually choose is is vital and and it makes a massive difference to to a family of African heritage or Caribbean heritage you know what, what are their children seeing in the in the books that they read because we have to keep challenging assumptions we have to keep challenging those stereotypes. Um, so, yeah, it's 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 a huge amount of work. And I think what's really important for schools is that it's OK to start small and it's OK to start with one thing. I think if you think about the whole thing, you could be overwhelmed and I think particularly at the moment with schools you know, facing a lot of challenges. 
but but starting that journey is really important and sharing together what we're doing is, is vital I think yes yes and I hear that you were touching on it there what what are the harms for people seeing things presented when it hasn't been decolonized mm. so it's very much about who I am as a learner I think is the key thing so if I feel marginalized and I feel um, ostr- almost ostracized by the fact that my own knowledge my own uh, understanding of the world world my, my own experiences that are not represented in, in what I'm learning and what I'm seeing, that pushes me to the margins. It makes me feel that I'm not, I don't belong. I'm not a valued, recognised member of society. Now, a lot of young people push back. You know, that's not to say that they stay at the margins at all. Mm. But actually that, that sense of being sort of put, positioned as, as second rate, as, as, as in the hierarchy, um, is really strong, really strong. Yes, and you're talking very eloquently about how important it is to protect people in ethnic minorities from the toxic effects of those sort of embedded, uh, outdated concepts that, that are unconsciously <laughs> embedded, it sounds to me, within sort of things that we teach. The debate about this sort of thing, since the terrible uh, situation with George Floyd's murder and the Black Lives Matter movement coming to the fore, as with so many political issues, uh, you know, Mm. the debate has been quite divisive. Social media Mm. tends to push extreme views and there's been an attempt by the far right to sort of portray things Mm -hmm. as woke Mm -hmm. and for that to be a, a, a derogatory word. What do you say to people who feel worried that, you know, that you're taking away teaching mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. things about British history, mm-hmm. what it means to be British. How can you reassure them that this isn't about that? And what would you say to people who d- would perhaps seek to dismiss this sort of thing as as, as wokery? Mm-hmm. It depends what you mean by British, doesn't it? Yes. <laughs> so if you look at our nation, who are we as, mm. as British people? Yes. If you look at the history of our migration, I mean, my... My mother's family is from Yorkshire, probably Vikings. My dad's family is from Essex, mm-hmm. and, and uh, uh, heaven only knows where they came from. They were pirate smugglers. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> um, but you know, I, th- I think we have to embrace that that this this sort of uh, notion of Britain as some sort of like little island full of white people is is just complete nonsense. You know. Mm. So so if 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 you look at the world as you know. Um, just just this this amazing diversity of different people who move across nations across continents over centuries over over millennia i i think that's an incredibly exciting way to look to look at the world so i i don't think it's being it's not being woke it's actually looking at the reality what i'd like to add to that is is the legacy of slavery and the legacy of colonialism and i don't think um, we can ignore that and say, well, that's nothing to do with us now. And I think we all have a moral imperative that we have to address the huge inequalities and, and the suffering that has that has been produced by that and is still produced by that today. So that whole um, dealing with racial trauma, dealing with generational trauma due to slavery, etc., is is vital. Um, and, and also the the consequences of how we've treated the Windrush generation as well. We all have a responsibility to address that. You know? Well said, absolutely. You know, and I think we have to be clear that if we, on the one hand, are quite clear and happy to say that we agree that slavery was a bad thing, then we should be happy to talk about it, not brush it under the carpet. You know, that's that's the bottom line. And 
there seems to be a conversation we're only really having now. Yes. Even though slavery was abolished quite a long time ago. Exactly. And it's very interesting, isn't it, when you look at the uh, portrayal of who, for example, finished slavery and, and, and the whitewashing of that. And, you know, we all know about William mm. Wilberforce. We don't know about the, the black leaders who actually made, made substantial gains in that area. And often people are quite anxious about how to talk about race and racism because I think it has been a conversation that hasn't been had, I would say, for the last 10, 12 years very much. Um, and I think starting to get people confident that it's OK to have uncomfortable conversations like I'm having with you now. You know, as, as I'm talking, I think, oh, goodness, I should say that. Oh, I haven't said this. You know, it, it, it's actually really important. We say the right things. But but practicing these conversations and having them, I, I think, is, is so important because otherwise children still learn about race and racism, but not in an open way. There's so much colonial history in this borough. That's one of the things I wanted to say. Yeah, because, you know, you've got all these sort of grand houses that, you know, were built in Georgian times. You know, even things like street names um, come up and people want to talk about that sort of thing as well. Basically, what I've learned only in the last few years is when you look at somewhere like Marble Hill House to sort of go, right, I probably know how that was paid for. You know, it wasn't just rum. It was We always thought it was rum and sugar that was... But there's a, there's a third trade that we wasn't mentioned, you know, and that's just got to change. I mean, does that come into your work at all? Yeah, I mean, the, the, the whole point of the curriculum is that it has to be embedded in the local context. So, you know, that would be fascinating to get some schools to do some projects on, on the colonial history of Richmond. That'd be amazing. Yes, no, absolutely. And we were talking about decolonising the curriculum, but then... Also implementing anti-racist approaches. How does this work? So decolonising the curriculum is only one strand of, of the whole approach. And um, the course that we've just developed, which I'm very excited to be advertising to schools now, actually has seven different um, uh, sections to it. And that's only really scratching the surface. But basically, you know, we, we need to look at how our policies, uh, as well as our practices, are, are anti-racist across the board so it's not that you ju- you have to have a really strong racism policy obviously and racist bullying policy um, but actually if you just have that sitting on a shelf somewhere and you don't look at the rest of your policies then you're not going to get very far so a, a really silly in some ways example but it's not silly actually is your behavior policy and that includes for example your uniform policy so my uh, muslim uh, girls in school would always get into trouble because they wore a long sleeve top underneath their t-shirts in the summer okay so always in massive trouble for this being told off etc cetera, etc cetera. why why can't we just have long tops yeah <laughs> that is a simple way in which actually we are embracing everybody we are not setting up barriers, making people feel excluded, making people feel that their own practices, their own beliefs are somehow second rate. Yeah. So there's a range of different things there. And I think particular behaviour policies are really crucial. Often what you find is that um, black children, young people are told off more frequently. There's all sorts of ways that people like me as a white teacher need to really reflect on in terms of how I'm addressing behaviour. You know, how am I calling somebody out all the time or not? How am I drawing on their strengths? It's been fascinating and really I'm very grateful to you for talking about everything that you're doing, which is so important. 
uh, and a big thank you. Is there anything else you want to share as we come towards the end of this podcast? I think I'd like to just encourage um, people who are listening, parents, children, young people to get involved and to, and to talk with their schools about what they're doing and to offer their help and support. Um, I think I think the more we work on this together, uh, the more strength it has and, and the more power it has to, to, to make positive changes. Um, so, yeah, thank you very much for the opportunity. It's been really great talk, talking to you. The work Catherine is doing and hopes to achieve with our local schools is so important. Uh, it's been really fascinating to hear more about it. So thank you so much. Racism remains a huge problem in our society, as we've heard. The effects of it in our schools can be very toxic for people experiencing it. It's something that everyone needs to be prepared to feel uncomfortable about, to challenge ourselves. We may not think that we're exhibiting any form of racism, but the extent to which it's embedded in things that people have taken for granted as part of our culture and the way that we teach needs to be looked at. We need to address that. Otherwise, we're part of the problem. Uh, as always, if you have enjoyed it, please do like and subscribe. And if you're on the sort of service where you can do this, please do leave a review. Hope to get top marks and uh, no scribbled notes in the margin. My name is Jim Millard. Thanks for listening. <laughs>